and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Today I'm joined by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. And we're going to break down the hidden meanings and messages behind the new Matrix Resurrections movie. Now, we briefly touch on the other movies in terms of reference, but we're focusing mainly on the new movie as everything has kind of been said about the original trilogy. And also we feel like this new movie has been really overlooked. Yeah, hugely, by that matter of fact. In terms of A, being quite good, and B containing a lot of deep messages as well as disclosure about what's happening in our world right now and what's planned for the future. Now, we went to see The Matrix Resurrections. Resurrections, Resurrections. by the way. Not resurrection, like alien resurrection. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like alien erection. Or <laughs> 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 funny, they were both the four films in their franchises as well. Yeah, right. This is Resurrections because Neo and Trinity as we learn, as we go on, are both resurrected. They're back. But we went to see it over the Xmas, like, New Year period. Yeah, it was just after New Year, wasn't it? And it, I mean, it goes to show you how overlooked the movie was and the strange COVID era that it came out in because it wasn't exactly packed, was it? <laughs> no. It was us, one other guy in front of us, which was pretty weird, we, we moved... Afterwards, we realised that, that that was pretty much it. But it was us, a guy in front of us, and then a young couple at the back <laughs> that we were sure were up to some hanky-panky. Yeah, there was some unusual business happening a few rows back. Yeah, because they, they left about a, a quarter through the movie. They just got up and left and obviously finished whatever they'd been getting up to. <laughs> But we were expecting to see a few more people in the cinema to just walk in and be like, ghost town. Yeah, it wasn't in the era where you had to show, at least not in the UK, like a PCR test or wear a mask to go and see it. If it wasn't that, we we wouldn't have gone. I mean, that to me just sounded like the height of irony. Like you're going to see a Matrix movie whilst you're (laughs) with a mask showing your like COVID ID. I mean, you can't get much more dystopian. I'm going to see The Matrix. I'm locked in this one, but... No, but we just walked walked straight in, but there was just, like, no one in there. Bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it was quite suspicious, the fact that it was so few of us, and why did we have to take the seats behind the one other guy? In the well, they were, the, they were our seats. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. When there's no one else in the cinema, after a time, it's like... Okay, we have the choice of really sitting on any like sitting at any of these seats, but we're directly <laughs> behind this guy breathing down his neck. And he's the only other guy in the cinema. We just look at each other and go, Should we move? And we did move. <laughs> we did. Then then the other couple joined joined at the back and well, who knows what happened then. But at this point it's probably worth mentioning there's gonna be some heavy spoilers, and I don't mean us spilling the beans on what the young couple got up to at the back. Definitely spilled the popcorn, didn't they? Yeah, but um, yeah, we're going to cut this movie up into little pieces. So if you don't want it spoiled, switch off now. Even if you have seen it, we might spoil it by by the end of well, this. If you, <laughs> to be fair, if you didn't actually get the meaning of the film, we're about to tear that right open. So before we go into the new Matrix Resurrections movie, 
just want to talk about like why why did the first movies and the first movie in particular like the original matrix make such an impact it come out in 1999 which mm. is like a pretty pivotal time for it to come out just before you know a few years before 911 yeah, happened the turn of the millennium yeah yeah and and there was some disclosure about that within the movie there was like lots of shots of towers and all the rest of it and there was the classic Neo showing his passport and the date on the passport was September the 11th, 2001. Yep. Yeah, obviously the movie looked great, the original Matrix. I mean, stylistically, it looked amazing and was really important. I mean, it was a game changer, really. Like the fighting scenes, you've never seen anything like that before. No, I mean, we said earlier they'd done them all on those suspended string lines. They were like fighting in, in the air and stuff. Yeah, right. So they were flying through the air and doing these impossible moves and all the rest of it. You kind of seen it in like old school like Kung Fu movies. But yes. They brought it into the modern age yeah. and it looked fantastic. And they had bullet time and you've just never seen this stuff before. I mean, it's a little bit like I've heard Quentin Tarantino talk about when he watched the Evil Dead movies by um, Sam Rami. Uh, Rami saying that Everything after that just looked naff. It just an old hat. After you'd seen that dynamic camera work and stuff, yeah. nothing was the same afterwards. And The Matrix was kind of like that. You couldn't make just a, a straight-up action movie after that compared to what had just come out. No, I mean... The Matrix is going to look old they, hat. They brought the level up so much in terms of what they could do with the camera in an action sequence. All the films that followed wanted to be like The Matrix. And... It's been, you know, subjected to countless parodies, like as much as something like Star Wars, even. Like it's it's up there with Star Wars. You know what I mean? It's a film of its like generation. I mean, people still quote The Matrix. That's how much it's bled into popular culture. People today will still be using phrases like "I've been red pilled" or you know, "breaking out of the Matrix." Matrix this is part of like our world, our like collective consciousness now. And people, people even dress like the Matrix. You know, that's the kind of difference between like a good band and a great band. Like a a great band even changes the way people dress. And like, say someone like David Bowie, suddenly yeah. everyone's wearing makeup and dressing a certain way, or the Sex Pistols, <laughs> and people are donning leather jackets with the safety pins, yeah. and spiking their hair the, up, the, and the stuff. T- the tartan trousers on. Yeah, right. The Docs, the Doc Martins, and like during that era you know people were like i've even heard russell brand say that he was like strutting round town in a leather trench coat and his glasses like looking straight forward like thinking he's like in the matrix it, it had that much of an effect on on popular culture i mean it in columbine mm. they went in there like decked out like they're in the matrix yeah yeah they, they looked well sort of uh i don't know like trench coat trench mafia coat, trench coat mafia yeah with the guns blasting. I mean, it was so reminiscent of The Matrix. It was kind of like, oh, God. Weird that Marilyn Manson got more flack than The Matrix. Had far more in common with that. I mean, it got mentioned at the time, but it, it wasn't like the main like scapegoat. No. Another thing that I think is overlooked in The Matrix is I, the first Matrix movie, is I think that it's got one of the best horror movie scenes ever. And when I say one of the best, I mean up there with like the girl crawling out of the TV in the ring. Oh, right, and sort of like Exorcist with the spinning head. Yeah, or like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, like, here's Johnny! (laughs) The bit where Neo awakes in the pod to find that he is in this hellish nightmare with millions of other pods as far as I can see, and that sort of realisation of this is the real world, that 
scene to me was horrifying. Well, has, as horrifying as they come, really. It has like music theme going on the background. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the music at that point is like classic and it's, horror music. And it's also, in that scene, it's, everything's all very dark, except the only thing that's illuminated is all the pods. Mm. Which is... And they're as far as the eye yeah. can see, and, and it's just yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. You're as overwhelmed as he is. Not, not quite. <laughs> yeah. But I think <laughs> any person who saw that film for the first time saw that scene would be like, wow. Yeah. So he so he wakes up in the COVID hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> in the goo. No, but apart from the things that we just named, like there was some deeper truths in the first Matrix movie and the ones that followed that hit home for a lot of people. And I think that's been the real reason that it's carried on in our culture and collective consciousness because yeah. there was some real kind of profound truth and wisdom in these movies yeah you know a lot of people listening to this will know what we're talking about but some people it might have well, I don't might know. Have I'd like to think most people probably the same feel the same as us that the matrix has stayed with them you know after you see that film for the first time albeit the two sequels that follow that maybe weren't so great but the original impact of the first film, I think, has stayed with anyone who's watched yeah. it for the first time because it really was quite significant. So, on one level, it looked at simulation theory, which is something that people might have heard people like Elon Musk talking about and they might relate to like scientific ideas like quantum theory and things like that. Or maybe they just think it's a crazy conspiracy, you know, thought up by computer geeks. <laughs> but... This idea of the simulation theory goes way back to even the Gnostics, like we've spoken about in previous yeah. episodes. Mm. And the Gnostics were a religious sect of Christianity that even predated what we know as mainstream Christianity today, that believed that this world was essentially a simulation, a, a bad copy, they called it. Yeah. And, yeah, they essentially believed that reality was an illusion. They also went as far to say that they thought this world was... Uh, like a prison, a matrix yeah, that yeah. we'd been put in and the only way to transcend was through knowledge. Yeah. And Gnosis is the common Greek noun for knowledge. knowledge yeah. So that's what they were all about. Similar to the matrix, they also believed that our energy was being harvested and we were being ruled over by these archons, yeah. Greek for rulers from a world... Beyond ours. Yeah, that we couldn't see. Yeah, I mean, not too dissimilar from the idea of the Matrix, yeah. where, where people are walking around not realising there's a whole machine world now outside of that that's looking in on them. Yeah, and and the story of the Matrix is directly based on Gnosticism. The Gnostics even believe that the Archons fed off their energy, so similar to people's energy being harvested in the Matrix. Mm, the batteries. It's all there. Yeah. Especially the, these lower frequency energies, you know, like hate and fear that we're, we're, we're forced into. So the Gnostics were, they were all completely wiped out, like they were burnt at the stake. The Library of Alexandria, where all the Gnostic scrolls were kept yeah. and stuff, was burnt yeah, to the ground. Flattened, yeah. We, we have very little knowledge or know of their knowledge of what their teachings were because a lot of it has been hidden or destroyed. Yeah, right. If it wasn't for the um, Nag Hammadi that was found then that in Egypt, then we really wouldn't know Egypt. much about them at all. Mm. Obviously, the Gnostic scrolls, they're saying they were burnt. I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy stuff out there to oh, say that they were taken. They're, they're, beneath, they're, they're beneath the Vatican somewhere. Let's have it. Let's just put it out there, right? They're in the vaults of the Vatican, yeah. yeah of course they are, yeah. 
because why would they burn this valuable information? It's much more beneficial to the powers that be to steal all the information and then say to the world, oh, it was destroyed. Especially if that information was actually accurate and true. Or a direct threat to, to Christianity and their control system. Exactly, yeah. I did actually hear that they were completely like slaughtered, they were driven out of the cities and then the towns and then they ended up got, like seeking refuge in like caves, the Gnostics. Wow. And then they were even slaughtered there. Christians eventually found them in the caves and they even slaughtered them whilst they're in the caves, doing no one any harm, just living their lives, you know, and they were still, that, that's how they were afraid of it, they were. It must have been a hell of a threat to Christianity if you look at it that way. Yeah, like that's how powerful their ideas were, clearly. So they were like, get them in the caves! <laughs> but this idea of our reality being like a matrix has become more and more talked about over the last few decades as our technology has obviously become better and better and we've started to see how similar computer games are to our own reality so we can build games like gta yeah or you can be in spider-man and be like web slinging around new york mm. and it feels like you're in new it doesn't feel quite like you're in well, new york but, but they can build you, these universes within computer games yeah right yeah. or you can be in like assassin's creed and be in ancient rome or egypt or something and it doesn't take a giant leap to be like well if I apply this same modal to like the reality I'm in now, why couldn't this be just a really sophisticated version, version of that? Yeah. You know, at the moment we're on PlayStation 5, this is PlayStation, you know, 50. Could be PlayStation 500. 500. PlayStation 500. PlayStation 50. <laughs> yeah. But really, you, you just follow a timeline. If you're like, well, I'm guessing the rate of improvement will just be an ongoing thing. Yeah. And even if it's the tiniest percentage, well, you just, you know, increase the number of years. Yeah. And you will eventually get there. Obviously, unless there's some sort of a cataclysmic <laughs> event. Which is <laughs> pretty likely. So maybe it's not so likely we're in a simulation. Something like maybe a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, even mainstream science at this point is catching up to what people like David Icke has been saying for decades. And that is that we live in a type of simulation. We decode reality essentially from a sea of wave-filled wave yeah. information. Well, it was the old classic. Um, when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes, where does the world go? Fox off. Disappears. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Okay, so, but that's when drawing down your eyelids. That's, that's all you're doing. Yeah. You just draw down your eyelids and the information disappears. Or when you put a VR helmet on and uh, you're on a roller coaster uh, or you're doing whatever, where does this reality go? Exactly. Out the fucking window. <laughs> it's gone, mate. So there's obviously that great quote in the first Matrix, like, what is real? How do you define real? Yeah. If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. <laughs> exactly. Morpheus. Yeah. Uh, Larry Fishburne. Mm. So our brain is the biological computer that yeah. we decode wave-filled information into the into the physical world that we see, which is actually an illusion. Mm. So we experience this world through our five senses, and if we were obviously a different creature, like a bat or a dolphin or something, then we would, our biological computer would decode reality differently. Yeah, yeah. We would experience a different reality. It's the same reality, it's the same sea of wave field information, we're just accessing different parts of it. Well, what's there to say right now when you see the birds up in the sky? 
they're just decoding their reality different to ours, but they're still existing within the yeah. same world. Yeah, but their yeah. reality is completely different. Yeah, their their reality would be completely different to us. Even like household pets, like we know that dogs see completely differently to humans. Their lifespan is completely different. So does that mean they experience time differently? differently? Yeah. Yeah, like it works the same as Wi-Fi. You know, Wi-Fi exists, but you can't touch it, smell it, taste it, see it. So where does it exist? It only exists once you decode Wi-Fi through a computer and it becomes the internet. Yes. But when it's just floating in the air or whatever, you can't see it. No, it's not even infrared. It's no. it's invisible. No, if you were trying to explain to someone Wi-Fi, but they'd never logged onto the internet or gone on a computer, they would not understand it. You have to show them through that device, otherwise what what you're saying doesn't exist. But it does exist. Yeah. And this theory works even if we're in what's called base reality. So say this isn't a simulation, as in this isn't a computer game or something that a, another species or a version of us that has created. This is base reality. Even if that's the case, then even this base reality is like a simulation because we could argue that reality is still holographic, like it would still be a wavefield information, even if it wasn't in a computer game. That's true. No difference. There's actually no difference. Like we'd still be decoding it through our brain and the five senses. The world essentially, like you said earlier, when you close your eyes, is actually outside of yourself. Sorry, mm. is actually inside of yourself, not outside of yourself. Yeah. It all happens in your brain. Yeah. A bit like the internet happens on your computer and only there. Outside of that, it doesn't exist in the sense that you can't touch it, see it, taste it, smell it. It's that old classic, you know, if a, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, you, you could almost say now, if no one is around to hear it, as in decode the wavefield information as sound, then no, it doesn't. But moving away from the nature of reality a bit, the movie referred, or, or the movie could be interpreted as breaking out of the matrix is breaking out of this fake world that we live in, this matrix of lies that are fed to us by governments, mainstream media every day. And the world we live in now is an illusion in the fact that it's not actually the real world that we perceive. Our history has been doctored, it's been rewritten. The stories we're told today are built on lies. Yeah. You know, we live in a, a one-party system despite what we're told and no matter who you vote for, the same powers or remain. In, in, in power, yeah. So much of what we get told is a lie. Every day that you watch the news, you're being lied to. It's propaganda. Sometimes it's pure fiction. Yeah, I mean, from some of the stuff we've seen <laughs> recently but we won't get into, but on the news. I mean, we can get into it. Why not? <laughs> no, like some of the stuff that you see at the moment, you're right, like the... Um, well, there was the Taliban thing we talked about with the fake plane, but recently there's been stuff with Ukraine, like the... With the fake guns, and then the bombing of Snake Island, which is, from some, from a satellite view, has not been hit by any shells or any mm -hmm. mortars or anything explosive whatsoever. So, so it, that whole thing, it seems like it's now almost been completely exposed as that never happened, that wasn't real. There was this other thing as well, the ghost of uh, Kiev or whatever. Oh, yeah. Did you see this thing? Yeah. And that, that's been exposed as just being a load of bollocks. Yeah. These these are the stories that are given to us through our mainstream media. This isn't Russian propaganda because no, we no. always accuse the Russians of their people are controlled by the, by the media's propaganda campaign. Well, I beg your pardon, I think we're looking just the same. Then there was the, the clips on the news that turned out 
they were from six years ago, and then there was other clips of explosions and stuff, and it was a computer game. Yeah, I played that Call of Duty. It was pretty good, that one. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that game. I'm not sure if that was, was it from that? Or yeah, that? It, was, it doesn't even matter what computer game is, the fact that they would actually yeah. use, try to pass off computer game footage as an actual war act that was happening. It's crazy. And there's a line in this new Matrix from the new Morpheus where he says, is history made from fiction any less real? And that's what I think he's talking about here. Yeah. Because he's, if this is the history that people remember, oh, that thing with Snake Island, and oh, this is what happened with the Twin Towers, this yeah. is how it went down. They just further the lies every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that any less real? If that's the public perception, if that's the perception of the of the masses, this is history and this is how it went down, is that any less real? It's not. And the powers that be know that. In, in a way, that itself is the Matrix, because we don't have the truth, we all only have doctored tales. So you could say that is the matrix that we live in. And the point of the news isn't to inform people, it's to manipulate them and keep them trapped in the matrix. Even things like money. Money is an illusion. You know, money doesn't even contain any precious gold or anything like that no, it anymore. It's no. just a bit of paper that we give a value to and say, right, that. but that's a pure illusion. No. And I think there's something that like your your average person would definitely relate to is like Neo within the first movie is living this nine to five existence and this is a whole sort of trap, isn't it? This is an illusion of right, this is how life is, you know, you go to school, you go and get a job, you work a nine to five, you get married, like that's it's all just set out for you. And Well even his boss gives him that speech when he's late for work, because after in the first film when he goes out and he's in the office and Neo's looking out the window at the window cleaners. And he goes, you work for one of the biggest software companies in the world. Like He makes Neo, or Thomas as he's calling him. Thomas Anderson. Thomas Anderson, how privileged he is to be working at the company. And he has to make the choice to be at your desk at 9am. And this 9 to 5 rat wheel, this is a, well it's not an illusion, but it's a trap. The same as the Matrix. It's a prison. And... Just how messed up the world is, you know? Like, the world's billionaires have more wealth than 4.6 billion people. We could solve all the world's problems, like famine and all the rest of it, in the click of our fingers if we wanted to. But we're just told, oh, no, this is just how the world is. I mean, the world's insane. But we're just told, oh, this is normal. This is how it is. It's a complete matrix of of lies. But we were constantly told to believe the fiction that is our reality. Yeah. And like the power that we give to these elites, that's just an illusion. No, their their power is just the power that we give them. Yeah. If we don't hand our power over to them, they have no power. That's completely built on an illusion as well. You know, you might be a billionaire, Bill Gates, but I'm pretty sure mono a mono, I could take that man out. <laughs> <laughs> Our true power has been hidden from us. Like Neo, like we're, we're all like Neo in a sense, you mm. know, like... We are all that ever is, all that has been, all that ever could be, infinite light beings trapped in a body in this reality, but the universe is inside every one of us like a hologram. The kingdom of heaven is within us, but we've just been bred into this kind of little me thinking where we have no power, and we've been lied to about our infinite potential. We're not told, like, oh, yeah, beyond this is infinity that you get to explore. It's the same stuff even with psychedelics. We we even talked about this within psychedelia. 
they told you constantly how dangerous they are. They'll they'll wipe your mind. And, yeah, and then you do these things, and then you realise that you've been lied to about that as well because well. you have some like really deep, profound spiritual experience and go, oh, that's not like I was told it was. <laughs> I thought I was going to lose my mind. Just, yeah, I feel like I just got a piece of it back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like as we've discussed before, two of the main things that are used to control us is like fear of the unknown and fear of death. But again, we're not told that, you know, death is nothing to fear. This is just a brief experience. You know, if we were told these things, they would empower us. So we're either told that, oh, you die and that's it, or you die and there's a judgmental God waiting for you. And none of it is empowering to the individual. It doesn't even have to be as severe as that, mate. I mean, it could just be you are like you said before, infinite light. Imagine if they told you when you're younger, oh, you're actually an infinite light being. You, you live this world, you'll get to experience reality in this sensory, but you'll actually get to experience again. Unfortunately, you may not be able to remember your pastime, but you do live on. Imagine telling people that. Yeah. They're, 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 it's they're, just a brief experience, so let's just all be nice to each other, enjoy it, and not take it too seriously. So at the end of the Matrix trilogy... Trinity sacrifices herself to get Neo to the machine city. Then yeah. Neo makes the ultimate Christ-like sacrifice to restore peace and make a truce with the machines. Yeah. The deal is basically you leave the people of Zion alone and free anyone from the Matrix that wants to be freed. I will go into the Matrix and to destroy the breakaway virus program, which is Agent Smith, Yeah, who has become uncontrollable even to the machines within their Matrix. That's the deal, isn't it? Yeah. He does that. He defeats Smith, which is beneficial to both parties. both parties. They keep their end of the bargain. Now, we learn in this new Matrix movie that they actually did keep their end of the bargain. Indeed, there was a truce, and it was honoured by the machines. And we're told that there's been 60 years of peace that have followed. Yeah. Which isn't too bad. Done, done right there. That's, that's six decades of yeah. quiet time. I mean, again, um, that's what we're going to be doing in this episode is continually relating what's going on in the movies to the real world but you know it's kind of similar to our own world you know we've had really this unprecedented time of peace since world war Two. i know not everywhere in the world obviously but, there's been wars in the middle east and but not like a world but there's not been another world war it's similar to the matrix there's there, there's been this time of peace and now it feels like that time's going to be disrupted oh, yeah. just like in the matrix yeah. resurrection that's getting shattered so maybe a bit of disclosure there. Yes, we certainly think so. You think this time of peace was going to last? <laughs> Have I got your attention now with the pandemic too? <laughs> it never lasts. <laughs> no, but obviously what's going on with Ukraine and Russia mm. is definitely being like hyped up. Like, the fight of the century. This is World War Three. It's coming, people. Oh, yeah. Forget COVID. That's in the past now. This is like... That's just disappeared. This is Rocky Apollo. Da, 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 da. You know, this is going to be the World War. So they tell us. So they tell us, yeah. It's really just like the Great Reset Phase 2. Exactly. We've had the pandemic phase, now we're going into the war phase. That's right. Yeah, and it will basically achieve economic disruption, increased chaos, colder population. I mean, is it that different to COVID? <laughs> no, not really. Kind of uh, reminds me of uh, COVID-19. <laughs> Just with a Russian hat on this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're told that the machines did honour this truce for like 60 years. Apparently, after Neo made the sacrifice, the machines, like the sentients, approached Zion 
for peace, but the the leaders kind of shunned them because mm. people weren't convinced that the peace would last, other than Morpheus that was convinced. And every day, as um, Naobi puts it, they expected an attack, but that never happened. I mean, I'm sure after the decades passed, they kind of, they kind you know, of eased off a bit. Yeah. The paranoia kind of... <laughs> you can imagine at that point, like, we haven't seen those little squid things flying around for a while. Yeah. We might be all right. Yes, we're told that Morpheus always believed that what Neo did would secure peace. But apparently the peace lasted for 60 years or so, but then there was kind of a disturbance and a new power in the machine world rose that we find out later on in the film was probably the the analyst, analyst, which is kind of like the new architect of the Matrix. So as a new power rose, China, (laughs) (laughs) the war started again. And we're, we're not told outright that Zion was destroyed, but it's kind of, yeah. that's what we're led to believe. Zion was destroyed, but a new city was created called Io that was created by both man and machine mm. because some of the machines actually empathise with the humans enough to help them rebuild their city. Yeah. And obviously we said this before that Zion, Io is just a Zion with a Z and the N removed, isn't it? I mean, it also looks like binary, binary code as well. One and zero. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's got the old I in there as well. It has indeed. Like a physical I. Yeah. But um, yeah, Naobi says Zion was stuck in the past, stuck in a war, stuck in a matrix of its own. They believed it had to be us or them. This city was built between us and them. Mm. And it actually relates to that uh, scene from the second one when Neo is down in the chamber with the um, chairman of, of Zion or the leader, the grey-haired fella, and he's saying these machines power our water, they power our lights, they're, they're big cogs on a clicking away in the basement. And he says we actually need these machines to survive. So that was an early example of them working in harmony, but now we're talking about the union of, of sentience and mm. humans. And she, Naobi, also says, like, I, I won't let what happened to Zion happen to Io. You know, so we kind of think, oh, it was destroyed, you know. There was a there was a huge civil war, basically, between the robots. Yeah. So we're sort of told that maybe they were fighting over resources, like possibly because more humans had been freed well, think- after Neo... After Neo had sacrificed, sacrificed himself, that that they kept up their end of the bargain and they freed people. But if you think, we talked about this before, if the machines kept up their end of the bargain and said they were going to free people, people in the Matrix are their energy in the real world. So if they start freeing all these people in the Matrix, they're going to lose their energy, their resources for survival in the real the machines world. Will. The machines yeah. will. You can see why a civil war might have broken out. Yeah, in, in, within within machines themselves, machine colony, and then we do see that scene, don't we? A short scene of the machines actually fighting each other. It's very short. It was almost like a still, yeah. but it was it, it, it just epic. looked it looked epic. like War of the Worlds or something. Yeah, you almost thought I want to see that movie, <laughs> <laughs> like the War of the Machines. It was like Terminator. Terminator. Well, yeah. Terminator is not machines versus machines. No, I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's no, the no, thing. no, no, it was machines versus, versus machines. machines. That's, That's what made it so cool. Yeah. It's like whoa. A machine war. Like, I know, I know. Machine civil war. So you can sort of gather from that that they now obviously had a war with themselves, not with the humans anymore, because some of these machines now have actually become conscious. 
they actually show empathy and emotion for humankind. Yeah. Like, humans should have, not say all have. So Yeah, they sympathise with, with the human's plight. They they believe that Zion should be left alone and people should be freed from the Matrix. You're right, they've evolved to a point where they've actually grown a conscious. But it's almost unfortunate, though, they've done that, but there's, their power source are still plugged in people in the Matrix. How many people could you actually free without the machines in the real world world losing all their energy sources? I think they could probably survive in Io, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they can survive there without humans yeah. as a source. Source, yeah. Just plug them in. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got an Apple charger laying Come around on. somewhere. Grab that white cable. I mean, it's actually a bit in the second Matrix which this new movie doesn't reference too many times. It's definitely like the forgotten movie. I mean, we like compared it to, uh, you know, like when a band, like say like Oasis would do like a set, but they play like maybe one song from Be Here Now because even they know it wasn't a great album. Yeah. It's kind of like that. There's so many cat nods back to the first movie. It's yeah, ridiculous. Even a few, to the, quite a few more to the third film. Yeah, but but it was, the second, no, no, not, not very not many. <laughs> They know. We all know. We all know. The, the Wachowskis are forgiven for the second film. I've forgiven them for, the, for it. You know. I would say order of movies, Matrix 1 was the best, then this one, then the third, then the second. second. Yeah, I know we said it, people. We think the most recent Matrix film is the second best one. Yeah, so in the second Matrix, the architect reveals to Neo that Zion was a city that was actually created to control the awakened humans. Zion was created five times before with the help of the previous ones, mm -hmm. the previous Neos, and each city was destroyed at the end of its cycle. So Neo tried to escape this fate for Zion via the truce, yeah. and as we said, it, it worked for 60 years, but now China has risen. Uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, the machine, a new power has risen. I mean, it does feel like that. I mean, Come on, it it's like we've had... All this unprecedented time of peace and now there's a new power emerging. Because I think ultimately this whole Russia conflict will lead to a Russia-China coalition and then you are going to see, even if it's an, even if World War Three is just a cold war in terms of there's no nukes, but it's like an economic war and all the rest of it, Yeah, I think we are going to see that, like a World War Three rise of a new power. You can see those banners together of the scythe and the star. Russia with our friends. The Chinese. Good friends. We don't like their food. But we love their brand of technocratic tyranny. We like their women too. So something else that has happened during this 60 year period. In secret by the machines. Is that one of the machines that witnessed Neo's death then took both Neo and Trinity and essentially rebuilt them and experimented on them over years to basically harness their energy to power, help power the new Matrix. Yeah. Well, we learn that the analyst, who is the new power, he figures out that the best way that the new Matrix or any of the new further versions of the Matrix should exist, they need to be powered with Neo and Trinity in it because their power sources, being the anomalies, are so strong that the best matrix they can actually have is to have Trinity and Neo in the matrix. But we learned that not together. Yeah, yeah right. He can't have 
Neo and Trinity, even though they've been rebuilt by him and they, they're still under his control, if they ever get too close within the new versions of the Matrix they built, it fails. But at the same time, for them still to be close enough, still built within the Matrix, and they will be in a proximity at certain times, like in the new Matrix, Trinity's in a close proximation to Neo because she's in the coffee shop. She visits the coffee shop, doesn't she? You can imagine she's a regular going to that coffee shop Neo's in in the new yeah, Matrix. Right. And so then in the real world, they're in two pods. opposing pods yeah, new that pod are close, but not too close. Too close. They're new, but they're like bigger, newer sort of. I like, I like those new pods. They were like sort of. Well, they were in their own kind of secret bit as well. So yeah. you had like the mass of you know the millions of pods, but then they were in their kind of own VIP section. <laughs> Yeah, the bit where they actually showed them being experimented on and stuff, I felt like that was the horror scene of this movie. Like I mentioned earlier with the first movie, the scene where Neo wakes up in the pod and sees the millions of others mm. and it's a truly horrific moment. The truly horrific moment in Resurrections was when Tri Trinity and Neo were being experimented on and they were kind of being like completely broken down and torn apart just to be rebuilt again over and over. I mean, it was some real like Hellraiser kind of shit. I did like that, and especially because they had all like the little electrical sort of spiders going over them, like the little tools that they're still building them, like taking bits out and putting it was bits It pure in. horror. Like when... We didn't when get they, enough of that. There were only a few shots of that. We like, you, you sicko. We didn't <laughs> get enough of that. That was more, more than enough for me. But. Open anatomy fun. <laughs> no, when you think about it, that was the literal interpretation of hell in the Bible. You will be tortured for all eternity. This was like a, a never-ending cycle of hell that they were in. And the depiction of that, like you said, when they had all the robots crawling over and their flesh being torn apart and stuff, I mean, this is like as horrific as it comes. But like I said with the first movie, I think this is kind of overlooked. But again, that was that was truly horrendous, I thought. Horrendous! So we find out that their power that's being harnessed is to make this new version of the Matrix even more powerful that practically no one wakes up from now. Yeah, it's a more sophisticated version of the Matrix. Even... We talked about this, it even looks more sophisticated because the previous Matrix films, when you're in the Matrix, everything's a bit darker, a bit murkier, but in this film, the new Resurrections, the Matrix is a lot more colourful, more vibrant, isn't it? Yeah, it looks right. more yeah. like the real world. Yeah, you're right. Everything in the original Matrix that was set in, in the Matrix had this green tint to it, didn't mm. it? And it was quite dull and lifeless. But now, this version 2.0 of the Matrix is... Like, like you said, a lot more vibrant and bright, and it, it feels like perfected, honed. Well, also look at this in the very first Matrix film. The weather is always rubbish. It's always raining. It's always raining. They said the thing about the rain also looking like the binary code, and it running down. Yeah, the cascading rain, rain on the windows, windows or on the windows of of the car and the buildings and things is always to mimic mm, that mimic the, the code, code of the screen. Yeah, so falling down. Even those things, they all that the address is that it was moody. Moody, good word. So the, our new Matrix in Resurrections is a lot brighter. It feels more like. Possibly the simulated reality we live in. Well, it seems more real to the people that are in it, but it's more fake. Yes. In a lot of ways. Well, it has this famous scene in the elevator at the beginning of Resurrections when everyone's just 
like in real life glued to their phones. Yeah. He's the only one that isn't. Uh, yeah, Neo or Thomas Anderson is just kind of there looking around. I've been in that position plenty of times where you're the only one that's kind of present. Everyone else is just glued to their phone and it's unsettling. It feels like you're in an elevator or in a train carriage with a bunch of zombies. It's funny you said that, thinking about elevator, because I thought, I wonder if you did that now and let a really ripping fart loud go in the elevator that not only would no one laugh, no one would even notice. They go onto a social media thing to, <laughs> to, to comment about it. Oh my God, someone in the lift just ri- let out an absolute ripper. But they won't say anything to you in person, so you've not really got to worry about it. Oh, that's a shame. You'll always die and break the ice somehow, <laughs> even if it is with a dirty, wet, smelly fart. Yeah, so Neo in this new version of The Matrix, he is still like an outsider like he was in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, he's in that lift and he's the only one that's not on the phone glued to his screen. Yeah. He is successful in this Matrix. That's one of the key differences. Yeah. In the first Matrix, he was a very reserved unfulfilled employee working a nine-to-five job in a cubicle at a software company called Metacortex. Mm. And spends his nights hunting a figure online that he can never quite catch up with. Yeah, right. So in his private time, he's a computer hacker called Neo. And it's a little bit like Fight Club when you think about yeah. it. He has like this cubicle job. It's all about how the sort of, you know, nine-to-five machine just grinds you down. But... What I liked about this movie is, or this Matrix that he was in, is that this time they made him successful. No, no, no. We're just not going to make you a nine-to-five grunt. We're actually going to make you successful. Why would they do that? Because that seems like a better deal. No, actually it's not. No. Because you're not just a nine-to-fiver. You're a 24-7 guy. Yeah, you're that important that you get no peace. You're constantly busy. Yeah, right. You're, you're plugged back in, but now you're hardwired, hardwired. Everything's running through you constantly because you're that successful and everyone knows who you are. Yeah, so you're under more pressure. You're obsessed by your work. I mean, you think that people that have got really hardcore jobs, they don't get any time to think. No. Sometimes you'll try and red pill these people or try and have a conversation with them and they just say, oh, mate, I'm too busy to worry about any of that. Mm. And you understand why. They work these jobs. Their work is their life. And yes. he's still Thomas Anderson in the new Matrix. But yeah, now he's a, a successful games developer, a famous games developer. And he's created a game series called... The Matrix. Aha. Uh-huh. That's what he's famous for. Yeah. So um, he has a trilogy of games in this Matrix that is basically his real life story of what's actually happened to him yes. disguised in a video game that he's the creator of. We just say to everyone else. It's now, pretty fucking meta. For everyone else, <laughs> that's it. it's a wild concept, but that's how they rebooted this trilogy. So his actual memory of what happened, which keeps sort of flashing back to him, is constantly confused with this game that he's supposed to have developed. So he keeps thinking, well, no, these memories can't be real. This is just the game. game. I've got too involved in my work. work. I'm too burnt out. This is like affecting my mental health and I'm not thinking straight. Right. Of course, we learn that more about Thomas Anderson in the film is, of course, he's seeing a psychiatrist for this. Yeah, right. So he goes to see... A psychiatrist, a therapist that's simply known as the analyst. <laughs> and he's got these blue glasses on, so you know he's like blue pinning yeah, and trying yeah. to keep him in the matrix. Oh, yes. And 
he keeps telling Neo how delusional and traumatised his fantasies are and there is a, a result of stress. Stress, yeah, there's nothing wrong with these things, you know. He puts it in a way that you don't have to feel bad, Neo, that you're going through these troubling times. I can help you with this. Yeah, there's even a part where Neo says, I feel like I'm going crazy. And he says, we don't use that word in here, which is such a typical thing for a therapist, therapist or someone to say. But he's all the time either trying to keep him at rest and kind of say, no, you're fine. Or Answer. he offers him all the answers. answers yes. As well as prescribing him these blue pills that are obviously his medication to keep him stuck in the matrix. I mean, that just reminded me straight away of med culture in America. Well, around the whole world, but particularly in the States where they're just giving anyone that's, oh, I feel a bit depressed, I feel a bit anxious, I feel a bit paranoid, you know, Anything. whatever. Oh, just have meds. Mm. They won't fix the problem, they just numb you. And the fact is, if you feel all the things that I just named, depressed, anxious, you know, that's because you live in a sick society. I'm making you feel that way. Yeah. We need to fix society to fix that problem. Yeah, that's true. But no, the answer is... We just medicate everyone. We just medicate you. bit like Brave New World. Soma. We just give you Soma to numb you. We won't actually fix the problem. We just numb you so you don't care about the problem anymore. Just thought about that eel song, like, Novocaine for the soul. Exactly. So they're just medding them up, sedating them. And that's what Neo's going through in this new Matrix. So he's kind of lost all his power, kind of thing, because he's just yeah. medded up on these blue pills. He's completely burnt out and stressed out yeah. his mind from his job. Yeah, I mean, and also he's had to deal with all this fame from this Matrix trilogy, which, of course, was the first three films which has been compacted into apparently a computer a game. A computer game, yeah. I mean, what what is funny is he obviously, in this reality, our reality, he fronted up Cyberpunk 2077, which was a gaming disaster. You kind of think it would have been better if they'd have got Neo, like Keanu, <laughs> to develop the game. <laughs> Certainly his character in this would have made a better job of it. <laughs> yeah, why do they have to hire Keanu? Couldn't they just hire Thomas Anderson? <laughs> Just told Keanu to get in character. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he probably would have done a better job, even with no experience. But what's interesting is the population at large within this new Matrix, they're aware of the idea of simulation theory. Because they've all seen the all game. The game, his game. Bugs uses that moment, we will be going to later, about something that was so great, like Neo's story from the, 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 this trilogy, or the yeah. trilogy of the Matrix films, where his story, the one, being such a powerful element. Yeah, now meaning been, so much to so many so people. people is now being turned. Especially those people that were freed by Neo for the Civil War and all that time, that Neo would have been a sign of like Jesus to some. Morpheus put Neo up on Jesus-like yeah. temple, didn't he? Jesus Christ, pose. <laughs> There's a quote in the movie where they're talking about Neo's story being turned into a computer game and Bugs, one of the characters, says they took your story, something that meant so much to so many people and turned it into something trivial. And there's another quote, where better to bury the truth than inside something as ordinary as a video game. And that's basically what, what they've done. But not just the Neo to everyone in the population yeah. because everyone is now aware of simulation theory. Yeah. So you would think, well, that puts the creators of the Matrix at a disadvantage, people being aware of it, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because when they disguise it in fiction and they hide it in plain sight, people are even less likely to break out. 
And that is well, could a that direct be, is correlation that, to our reality. Our time. There's so much truth buried in plain sight in our own reality in Hollywood movies. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's almost like if you want to get to the truth of what's really going on and what the world is really like, get it from Hollywood movies rather than the news. Because once you dive deep into the real meanings behind these movies, oh, yeah. there's more truth there than most other places. Oh, yeah. They tell us what has been, what is happening, and what's going to happen constantly within these movies. It's all there. Disclosure. Just hidden. Disclosure, baby! Full disclosure. So Trinity is kept locked in this new Matrix in a different kind of way. She's like the classic, like, busy mum, like the soccer mum. Yeah. She's got demanding husband and a couple of brats. Oh, what's the what's the line the little kid said when, like, Neo goes... Are you trying to bone my mum? <laughs> And like Trinity doesn't. Oh, sorry, her name's Tiffany. Tiffany, yeah. In this, which definitely is a commentary on like machines, like in like the Gnostics say of having no creativity yeah. and no imagination. Like they called her Tiffany uh, rather than Trinity. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's so unimaginative. Well, even Smith, the the new Agent Smith, he's just called Smith. Smith. No imagination, these fuckers. <laughs> these these machines. Bloody AI. Call themselves sentience. Not a breath between them. Yeah, so she's got like these couple of brats. She doesn't even tell the tell the kid off no. when he says that. You trying to bowl my mum? You would just be like, "Are you what? <laughs> Are you kidding me?" I know. Did you try what? You'd give that kid a smack around the ear hole. She just kind of goes, "Oh." So she's the type of mum that's going to be like running them around everywhere. You know, like going to football, going to soccer practice, going to piano practice. Like there's a bit where one of them's got a bit of Lego shoved up their nose or something. She's yeah. like, "Oh, I've got to run," you know. And she's kind of trapped in the Matrix this other kind of way where she's just, she's busy like Neo is, but yeah. rather than being a slave to, to, like he's a slave to his work, to his career, she's a slave to her family, mm -hmm. a demanding family and this jam-packed life that both she's got. busy enough to keep them fully immersed in yeah, their right. jobs, in their house lives, to keep them from breaking out of their reality. Yeah, right. They're much more immersed now in their life. And her family are, are actually bots. They're yes. like NPCs. Yeah. So they're not even real. Like her kids that she thinks are her children are not actually her children. They're just machines. <laughs> and her husband's like a real bro as well. Like, come on, we need to go. Probably drinks Bud Light. Yeah, so that's like another way that this new Matrix is different. Like now there's there's not just the humans in the pods. There's bots there's all these NPCs in the Matrix as well, keeping people locked in and just filling the space, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of weird because before, everyone that we saw in the old Matrix was assumed to be someone... Plugged in. Plugged in. In Resurrections, there's lots of people who actually aren't people plugged in at all. They are, like you said, just bots, programs, and they run in between the people who are plugged in to like keep everything... Just in order. In order. How would he do he? And... This is something that I've joked about in real life uh, with, with my old bandmate, Sebastian. We used to joke because we used to play gigs and get like Ubers everywhere and stuff. Some of our Uber drivers, we used to say, like, I swear they're like NPCs. There was just like no one at home. It, it, it might as well have been a self-driving car because the Uber driver was just, it, they weren't like a human at all. What a total recall. <laughs> just no response. <laughs> you arrived in a Johnny cab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, anyone that's awake has probably kind of pondered this before. Like, is there, I swear there's some people in this reality that 
aren't even real. They seem like bots. Yeah. They seem like bloody robots. When they're devoid of any personality, when they, they seem very uncreative. And during this COVID era, people have been behaving like robots, like just doing exactly what they're told without question. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that have been like policing others to wear masks or follow the rules, they've been behaving like these self-appointed agents of the Matrix. And in this new Matrix movie, that's a that's a key difference between this new Matrix and the old one. Yeah. There's now these bots within the Matrix keeping other people locked in, keeping his, other people alive. His lined. best friend's a bot, isn't it? Neo's best friend of the company. Is it Drew? Jude. Jude, not Drew. Yeah, Jude. As in Judas. Judas. Because he's a backstabbing bastard. And he's trying to keep Neo from yeah, right. waking up. He's and a- he's like this kind of annoying, like, you know, he's a bit of a fanboy. He's like fanboying over Neo. I felt like bits, or Thomas Anderson rather, he's not Neo in this Matrix. He's a shadow of his former self. Yeah, really. the, the poor, he, he's very demeanour. Even Neo's. It's like Thomas's demeanour is very... Miserable, broken. Broken, seems like he genuinely hates his life. Which, like we said before, is kind of weird because he's, uh, you know, super successful, but obviously the success has come at a price. Again, I feel like this was sort of uh, the Wachowskis or uh, Lana Wachowski Mm. that directed this. It was only one of them that was directing this one. I kind of feel like that was maybe... Her saying like this this was a actual thing that she experienced in reality. Firstly, these people fanboying, you know, and mm. saying the same thing over and over, and over again. How good was the Matrix? Could yeah. you do a film more films like The Matrix? Oh, it oh, changed my life. life. Oh, like, I watch blah, 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 it. I'm thinking they're special and like latching on to you and wanting to speak about it and you're like, I'm done. I've and then, made ten other films since then. You know? Yeah, right. And then also like this whole idea of like I'm sure that the Wachowskis made The Matrix and were really pleased with it. But then over time, when it had been parodied countless times and kind of watered down and lost its meaning entirely, they probably felt a bit bummed about it all. Yeah, they, they might have just got sick of it by the end. Yeah. Like an old joke just constantly being used. And, and like also as well, like the sort of people that are using like, you know, like take the red pill and break out The Matrix. Like a lot of the time they're associated with like, the right rather than the left yes. or the far right. The far right. And then a lot of these people wouldn't agree with their views on trans rights, for example. So it's like, yeah. that must be painful, like knowing that your audience actually would be completely at odds with you. Like we, we compared it earlier to like Nirvana. Yeah. Kurt Cobain said the, the typical fans of Nirvana were like the sort of jocks that used to beat him up when he was mm. at school. And that was obviously very like, jarring for him. Yeah, he treated troubled him, didn't he? Yeah. So it yeah, it kind of kind of reminds me of that. Like when you achieve your dreams but you still feel empty and hollow at the end of it and what you were really trying to say has been not only watered down but kind of like trivialized and commercialized to the point where it's become a part of the machine and the system that you were trying to like rebel against in the first place. Well Jude constantly reminds Thomas of how much how good his game is, how much of an impact it, it changed on the world. Even though Thomas is very, like we said, looks beaten down, drawn out, he's sick of yeah. the world. And he's looking around and going, did it? Because the world doesn't look too different as it is. It is. And that's what I think that Lana Wachowski is trying to say in this film. It's like, actually, things have got worse. I mean, there's a quote from Neo when he's 
back in the real world where he says the matrix is still the same in fact it's even worse mm. or something like that but it has and in our own reality yeah. it has got worse people seem more plugged in than ever more apathetic than ever yeah there's even a quote like it feels like the matrix one you get that impression like a lot of the people in io are more interested in survival and just carrying on their lives their lineage not freeing people from the matrix it's almost like they've given up on that yeah. obviously because this new matrix version is even more powerful than the last and a bit like our own reality it's probably harder to break people out of it's harder to un unplug from yeah. which which we probably found during the covid area people seem more brainwashed than ever yeah so even more harder, plugged in than ever even harder to make them see sense especially when there's a lot of stuff out there that that could make sense but they just refuse it they're so plugged in that they are just quite comfortable they like having the VR headset on and the mask. With the hand sanitizer being sprayed at the same time. And the face shield. <laughs> and the two metre social distancing stick. So you get the impression that like Trinity's still like a badass deep down. Like she likes riding a motorcycle and stuff, but society and her like husband and two brats have beaten her down to the point where she's just you know, she's given up on her dreams. Meanwhile, Neo has fulfilled his dreams, but like we said, he's been left like empty and hollow, and he's kind of as miserable as ever. Probably more, even more miserable than the original Neo in the original Matrix. Oh, I, I, I liked the original. He was brooding. The original Neo. I mean, he still went to the club, didn't he? Yeah, yeah I know. Kind of had a jam time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hard to argue. <laughs> he didn't look like he had a good time. No, the club. He, maybe. No, no, no. He definitely seemed more miserable in this one. Yeah, wouldn't he? Yeah. Because there's a bit where he has a conversation with Trinity and she says, oh, I'm probably boring you. And he says, no, this is the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. And you think, oh, it's sort of the best bit of acting I've ever seen from him. Yeah. I was like, I kind of felt that. Yeah. It's probably the best acting he's done in any of the Matrix films. And people were like, oh, the acting was terrible. Well, no, it's good because he was, he was a broken man. He wasn't meant yeah. to be the original Neo. Not this original man who's hunting for Morpheus, hunting for a way out. This Neo has been suppressed. This Thomas Anderson's character is not... He's been given this life, yeah, right. which has completely not allowed him to break down his walls. It's kept them firmly rooted up. And it was the first time that we got to see that real kind of vulnerability from him. Yeah. And Trinity as well, or Tiffany. Tiffany. Was, you know, this beaten down kind of character. And I felt like their acting was good. Yeah. I felt like it was better than the previous ones. I think what, what a lot of people were latching onto was like, the action scenes weren't as good or the new Morpheus or Smith weren't as good as the previous or it didn't look as good or something like that. But these are all like really base level things. Like yeah. The story there was like really deep, multi-leveled, and I felt as interesting as the first movie and better than the two that well, followed. It, it definitely, when you start to learn more about Neo in Trinity as Resurrection goes on, like their, their story within the new Matrix is a good story. Yeah, and like something that was like profound and quite beautiful and touching as well. Yeah, like, remember like, they had a love story and they'd been, yeah. they'd been separated and she'd been married off. You almost thought like, oh my word, like, sorry Thomas, but someone else is boning your chick now. <laughs> and we know he is because there's two little sprugs there. Lovely little brats. That'll keep you locked in. <laughs> if the original Matrix was a commentary on how we were using technology at the time, this new film is... A commentary on how technology is oh, using, using us. us yeah. You know, how we're glued to our phones. 
like the scene with Neo in the lift, like we're, you know, glued to social media, algorithms are controlling our choices, what side in every argument we're We're told to take, take, otherwise we're going to be outcasted. Don't disagree with the narrative. I've had my booster. I stand with Ukraine. I mean, whatever the hell comes out, it's like you've got to take a stance in it. You can't even take the stance of leave me out of it. No. Or the stance which is like, can I just sit on the fence long enough till I make a fully uh, conclusive decision by myself without having to listen to your spewed bullshit? (laughs) Sorry, BBC, but that one's for you. So in the first Matrix, you had people like dialing into the Matrix, like you were like, using dial-up to go on the internet or whatever. So they were using phone lines. Yeah. And they were actually going to pay phone boxes and picking up the phone. And that's how they were going into the Matrix, which seems so old school now. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. It does. Like, pay phones. I mean, I think I watched a video and some guy said, I've never seen a pay phone before. And I was like, man, you are young. Yeah. I and mean, man- there's a lot of pay phones in London still, but the only people that really use them are crackheads. They're the only people you see using them. Or pimps that put up those little cards for the women like big booty licious <laughs> yeah, yeah the o- tricks of society o levels and a levels you don't <laughs> want to ask what those are or <laughs> we all know well i hope so i hope so if not everyone we've just told in this podcast definitely knows now <laughs> but yeah you i mean phone boxes yeah most <laughs> phone boxes are used as like public toilets like people literally just pissing them Actually made me laugh recently. I, I saw on like Justin Bieber's Instagram, I think it was, like him and his missus were like taking pictures in a London phone box and I thought, someone's pretty pissed in that in the last twenty four hours. You might put get a smile them. on my face. Yeah. You might come out there a bit high from residue heroin <laughs> smoke left up against the glass. Yeah, but they were taking like romantic shots in there and I thought, you don't really know what they're used for. <laughs> like this is London, you know what I mean? It's I, not I'm Mary Poppins. I'd get those trainers cleaned when you get in. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> Bieber could be in for a nasty shock. You <laughs> Ryan? Are you kidding? <laughs> Let's get out of here, babe. We got the shots, right? That's what he cares about. Just the shots. Just the Insta shots. But now, of course, we don't need to dial in. We don't need, like, phone lines or even to be sitting at a desk, uh, a desktop computer. Like, we can, we've got phones on us all the time. Yeah. You know, we, we have 24 access to the internet. We're always plugged in. So in this new version of the Matrix, they don't have to use phone lines. They can just use mirrors. Yeah. Anything that's a mirror, they can just go through. Yeah. And that's obviously a cap nod to the fact that our phones are like, you know, Black Mirrors, like the series Black Mirror. Yeah. That's what it's named after. Great series. Yeah. And we have these things on us 24-7. In the first movie, when you think about it, like the real enemy is like Agent Smith, like the government, the dark suits. Yeah. In this movie, it's more like technology. Technology is the real Technology is the thing that's enslaving us. It's not the government necessarily. No, no. It's the technology. It's... The social media it's it's just the well, being we, we, plugged in 24 we've 7 we've enslaved ourselves it's almost got to the point where the machines don't even have to enslave us we've got all the gadgets here that keep us perfectly preoccupied yeah sedated entertained entertained mm. yeah i keep on thinking of like that's the most like overplayed song ever but I keep thinking of like nirvana smells like teen spirit these days it's got that chorus of like here we are now, entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Yeah, so it talks about how we're entertained, sedated, numb, and more locked in to the Matrix than ever. And 
obviously it's a social commentary on how technology is now our real enemy and the main thing that's used to manipulate us and keep us in line, mm. just like the agents of the Matrix. Now, Neo creates Morpheus, essentially, because Neo's pissed off that he has to create a follow-up game to the trilogy, yeah. as the parent company, Warner Brothers, has insisted, just like in reality... Yeah, with Lana having to yeah. make the fourth film. So, yeah, that's a direct commentary on the fact that Lana was basically given the choice, like, you either... Like, we're, we're going to make a fourth Matrix film, either with or without you, and she was obviously like, well, I don't want someone else to butcher this. I want to do it begrudgingly, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, so Neo begrudgingly agrees to this. And this is part of what the analyst kind of keeps him locked in with. He, he kind of says, well, you know, this was a shock. Like, you were given this news from your boss, who's Smith, mm. and your delusions and breakdown that's happened consequentially is because you were assaulted by your boss who laid this on you and that's why you've had this response it yeah. kind of helps keep him in the yeah. matrix yeah but um yeah just as sort of lana probably felt like ambushed in real life to do this um follow-up neo is in the same position like we said it's it's meta beyond belief yeah yeah. And for people that don't know what meta means, you know, meta is when something that's in real life is repeated again in a movie or series. Like, for instance, like Larry David playing himself exactly. in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Or there's like a new Nicolas Cage movie coming out where he actually plays yeah. Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that, that looks good, actually. Yeah. And there's like constant things in movies or where people break the full wall as they call it yeah. yeah and they actually you know they do that in fight club they talk directly to the camera and let you know that they know that you're watching a movie the fact that neo is actually creating a game with warner brothers demanding he does a sequel he doesn't want to do i mean it's it's ridiculously meta but it's quite clever and entertaining that that was weaved into the movie i thought personally that was really cool yeah. And, and it's a direct response to not only the situation that they were put under, but reboot culture in general. Well, we've seen so many different re reboots, whether it be Planet of the Apes. I mean, there's... I, I can, oh, you. We could just you list We could just list Yeah, them. I mean, like horror movies, you've had like oh. Texas Chainsaw Massacre redone, like Candyman, like everything you can think, Halloween, like mm -hmm. all the classics that you're like, they, do, they don't need to be touched. Oh, we're doing Ghostbusters again, but... With an all-female cast. It, so it's like, it, why are you doing this We're stuff? obsessed with this. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but now all the magic's been sucked out of it and there's CGI. The weird thing is, it, it's almost... like I know you said we're, we're obsessed with this whole reboot culture. The, the sad thing about the reboot culture is a bit like things created by computers. They're so brainless and they never go anywhere new. All the new reboots are always worse than the They're originals. just regurgitations. Or, or if not worse than the originals. They oh, yeah. No, no, way, way worse. So like, it's almost like... They're, they're hardly ever better. You almost wonder of all these reboots being created by AI because they're not good. That's what it feels like. Yeah, they're just like a shadow of their like former selves, like some hollowed out version. And like, like you said, you just think, what's the point? All this money spent. And you know why they're doing it, just to get this kind of like guaranteed box office hit. Like, well, people will, will remember the name, yeah. it's guaranteed money, mm -hmm. 
and they're not really investing in like new ideas or almost like they've run out of ideas. Yeah, resting on their old laurels and, yeah, and right. past triumphs. Yeah, just cashing in. Cashing in. Mm. Cashing in. Just cashing in. We'll bring the Matrix up again. Everyone remembered bullet time. <laughs> Let's cash it in. Knock, knock, knock. Hello, Lana. Uh, you want to uh, make the film? And there's not really a choice. You either do or you don't, we're making it anyway. Yeah. So, but but this isn't a soulless reboot. No, because this not, is it's not. really deep and there's a lot of social commentary across the board on all kinds of things and a lot of disclosure going on. This this isn't just like a, a mindless, soulless reboot at all. But it was kind of advertised as that. Like the trailer that went out for this, it made it look like, oh my God, just a, just a mindless reboot. Mm. And there's a big spin on that in this movie. It's not just that. It's no. actually a social commentary on that and reboot culture itself. But you would never, ever get that from the trailer. And it was almost like the trailer was put out on purpose. Like, well, look, if you go and see the movie, you might be pleasantly surprised. It was almost well, like... We we talked about this. Was it to discourage from people from actually watching the film? That, you know, yeah, yeah, and then, like, I mean, this is going really down the kind of crazy conspiracy route, but it does make you think... Is it done on purpose? Like, do they have to put out a certain amount of disclosure for these kind of Masonic Illuminati mm-hmm. to rules that we've we talked, like, about, talked pre- about previously? Like, Lessening your karma. Do your- they have to put it out there in a sense? But, hey, they'd rather put it out the odd time within reboot culture because then it will get less attention. Yeah. People would just go, wow, it's just a shitty reboot. I mean, there's no, there's nothing no. deeper there. Yeah, I'm not it's gonna, not worth analysis. I'm not going to get anything from this film I probably didn't know already. Yeah, like people might not dissect it in the way that we are because they think, well, that was just a reboot and it wasn't very good. That's not worth me looking at. Like, I know that's something that someone I follow on Instagram called Conspiracy Carl, don't judge him by the name. <laughs> <laughs> but he, But he goes into the second trilogy of the Star Wars movies that were obviously universally slammed by critics and fans alike, but he presents the case, actually they had a lot of disclosure in there, but it was ignored. So you sort of think, well, is that what they're doing now? They're Mm. actually putting Mm. a lot of disclosure about what's going on in the world and what the powers that be have planned, but because they're putting it in something people consider as just a reboot, they're not going to read into it anymore. People aren't going to analyse it and dissect it like they have in the past. There's, they just leave it alone. I mean, there's a bigger chance people would dissect it and look at it in depth if it was a fresh new project with a fresh name. But when you get the old name, the old familiar name of a film, like Lethal Weapon 6, it could be the best Lethal Weapon yet. You, may, you might go to cinema and you'd be like, actually, that was the best Lethal Weapon. But because you hear it's 6, you're like, oh, God, it's just well, they just put so much crap out there that you just automatically assume, oh, that's not going to be worth watching. Or if you do watch it, you're not really paying that much attention because you think, well, there's no deeper meaning than this. I mean, come on, it's Matrix 4. But that's the thing. In this Resurrections film, there was a lot of great stuff, even with the whole Morpheus character, because the Morpheus character in this new film was like, totally different. And at first, when I watched the trailer, I thought, oh, my God, what they're presenting this guy as like, this is Morpheus's replacement. I mean, he's not going to be the same as, as Larry. Larry, I know. But, but you actually learn that it's not as simple as that. Morpheus is actually a character that Neo has created himself. Within the game. Within his game, yeah. So because 
Morpheus doesn't exist in this universe. Yeah. Trinity does as Tiffany, and Smith does as his boss, but there's no Morpheus. No. So Neo, to break out of the Matrix subconsciously, has actually had to create a Morpheus character to help him do that. Yeah. But he's created him within the game. So he's put him through a series of simulations until actually Morpheus has broken free. And he's cast Morpheus in his game as Agent Smith. Mm. The complete opposite to what Morpheus would have been in the original trilogy. Exactly. So his code would have been so jarring, it would have been so at odds with the coding of Agent Smith that eventually... Morpheus himself... broken free. Morpheus as a coded program, because remember, Morpheus now in this film is sentient. He's not actually connected to a human body on the outside because Morpheus is dead. The He's Morpheus, long gone. This Morpheus is actually... He'd be over 100 this years is, old now. This is the sentient program that was the sentient program that was Morpheus within the Matrix. It's just his code. Morpheus is dead, but this is Morpheus's old code. Yeah, that Neo's obviously remembered, remembered. because... As in the first, first Matrix, he, he can, can see, see all the code. code. So he knows Morpheus' code. So he's rewritten Morpheus' old code into a modal within his game. But what he's done is put him as an Asian, a character so, so unrecognisable from his previous character. He, and so at odds with his code in that it's forced, forced him awake. forced Morpheus to yeah. awake wake himself. Yeah, and that's kind of how the movie begins. But... Before we get to that point where Morpheus is introduced, there is another character, a new character in this called Bugs. Yeah, she's our main protagonist, uh, feline, female. Feline? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So who who is Bugs? Well, she was stuck in a pod in the new Matrix and her role was like a window cleaner. Yeah. And she saw Neo... Thomas Anderson, rather, commits suicide at the Game Awards. Yeah, she's like a skyscraper window cleaner in one of those sort of suspended yeah. booths outside. The yeah, game. again, a bit of a nod back to the first, first movie, movie, like we said earlier, with the old suds, the code going down the screen. She's like one of them window cleaners. She sees Thomas Anderson, that's not Thomas Anderson, Samson. when you see in the flashback, he's actually another avatar. Yeah, he doesn't. he's not. And a different avatar to the one that near... Uh, Thomas Anderson sees in the coffee shop in the glass table in the glass table which leads you to think that every time it's reset he comes back, back as a different, different avatar, avatar each time yeah his face changes constantly some kind of like reincarnation thing going on there like each time it's a different yeah. face a different a different vehicle but yeah she bugs witnesses that as a window cleaner and later in the movie she says i saw you walk off or jump off the building but you didn't fall yeah. she doesn't say what happens she doesn't say whether he flies off or is suspended or whatever else but she said that he didn't fall and then she obviously subsequently remembered that after it was reset and that stayed with her and then she broke broke out of the matrix and then dedicated her life afterwards to finding Neo within this matrix Bugs, and she was convinced he was in there. Bugs effectively actually takes over a semi-Morpheus-like role because yeah. she has to see Anderson, see that moment when his face isn't his avatar and it's changed. That is the moment yeah, that she stays with her. And yeah, even right. when the matrix is reset and she's back in again, yeah. 
Cause, she remembers. Because as he's stepping off the building, it, she kind of catches his eye and it's kind of like, Jesus to a child. That sort of moment where she remembers the face of Christ. The face of Christ, yeah. And then, obviously, we don't really know her much of her backstory. We don't know how she broke free and how she formed this crew that she now has. Because the start of the movie, it's like exactly like the first movie. It's like you you hear the the sound of a crew like on the Nebuchadnezzar in the first talking movie, over the phone movie, line. talking over the phone line. Well, it was Cipher on the phone to Trinity, wasn't it? Yeah, but in this new Matrix Resurrections, it's Bug saying hey, I've seen some code and this looks like old code, something familiar, but it's new. What she's talking about is Thomas Anderson's modal, this matrix that he's built within his game. game. And she's recognising, hang on, this is the same story of Neo, the one. one yeah. Not realising it's code within code. It's a matrix within a matrix. It's this computer game that Neo is designing that the analyst has created to occupy him and distract him and delude him to his own reality but, being trapped. But but what he didn't obviously predict, the analyst, is that Neo would then... Wake s- someone else up. Wake someone else up. Well, what he by his, you know, suicide attempts. Suicide attempts. So Bugs breaks in to the Matrix to find Neo to investigate this old bit of code. They're kind of behind the wall, aren't they, as they're watching the classic moment with... Trinity, that's actually not Trinity, it's like a Trinity lookalike, obviously the Trinity in the game. Yeah. And she's going, this is all so familiar, I've seen this before. And the thing that she's probably remembering is like we discussed with Richard Grannon in the previous episode, oral tradition, Tradition. Mm. fable stories that have been passed down about Neo the One. She recognised all the same talk from outside the building. They even used the same... The, the policemen use the same dialogue when they're going in to investigate the... Uh, this, yeah, this, the, the Agent ch- Smith in the first movie and then the Morpheus character in the Agent Smith role in this movie both say, he's already dead. dead. And it's exactly the same. And that's that's sort of the code that... That she's, she's recognised. She kind of interrupts that scene and then suddenly they discover her. She's on the run. Then she gets pulled into... A corridor similar to kind of the Matrix Two. Um, well, she's chased. She's actually chased singly by Morpheus's agent character, isn't she? She's like pursued to the point where he actually managed to separate from the other agents, which, she, which is suspicious because you've never seen a single agent like that break away. He's normally with like two or three goons. So already at that moment, you think, oh, something's going on here. Yeah, right. Then she gets pulled into this kind of like. In between, he sort of like uh, the white corridors from the second film, yeah. where they're 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 like the little hidden the back doors, the back doors, the back doors between rooms and stuff. Yeah, which when you think about it, makes it, sense because they talk about that in games, com- and computer and language. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they got through a back door, like the hackers got through a back door or whatever else. Yeah, so Agent Morpheus drags Bugs into one of these corridors, like the one from Matrix Two, and then suddenly. He's kind of telling her that actually I've awakened. Well, Although I'm well, an agent, I've now well, he noticed, started to. He noticed the patterns, didn't he? Even as an agent, as a, just a, as a sentient program now, because like he's, we said, he's not connected to. It. He, he started to awaken. He yeah. started to awaken as a sentient program, noticing that there's these repeating loops in his 
life within this matrix that don't seem right. Yeah, and his programming is at odds with he's, itself. He's conflicted because he's an agent, and we know Morpheus, of course, yeah. was the opposite of an agent. And he started investigating, and then he says, no one was ever in the key shop, so I started looking. And then he's obviously found... Neo's ID. Neo's ID, and like a part of this matrix code, this room that's still there, that's Neo's old oh, apartment mm -hmm. from the first movie. So he takes Bugs in there, and they have a chat, and then at the end of that chat, he says, and then I realised, she's like, realised what? And he says, I am Morpheus, and I'm here to find Neo. Yeah. And they have a big hug, and she's like, oh, you're here. And then we're kind of like, yeah. Because cause Bugs also knows the story of the Matrix. She knows Morpheus existed. Yeah, and, right, and she knows that he's the key he to finding, finding Neo. Neo, yeah. And getting Neo to... I mean, she Red was. Hill she was looking. She, I mean, Bugs was looking for Neo. Like we said, she'd adopted the Morpheus-like character in the beginning because she is looking for searching for him after seeing him try to jump off the rooftop. But she knows the key from the experience that she's seen in the game he created to finding Neo is Morpheus. Which uh, and like you said, she was actually trying to find Neo, but she's actually found Morpheus. So she hasn't found Neo, but she's found the key to, to finding Neo. Yes. Finding Neo, finding Nemo. Finding oh my Nemo. God, it's the same. Whoa, <laughs> the conspiracy goes deeper. So at this point, you know, they've had their big embrace. Obviously, Bugs is really happy because she's got the key to finding Neo now, Morpheus. But Morpheus is still tapped into the Matrix, remember? He's a sentient program, but he can be unplugged because he is still, even though he doesn't have a body on the outside, he still can be broken out. So she gives him the rib pill about, and she makes the whole thing about the choice, doesn't she? But yeah, the choices right. she does is she I'm offering this choice now, Morpheus. And she gives him, she shows him the blue pill and the red pill the first time you see it. But he she already says about the choice being an illusion, and she knows that Morpheus is gonna take the red pill. She already knows. He already knows he what, already knows he's what gonna, he's gonna choose. I mean it it harks back to the first movie again when the Oracle is telling Neo, you already know what you're gonna choose already. Yeah. Yeah. Know thyself, as the above her toy. So And the pills are really a symbolic representation of the person making a choice yes. that's the that's the most important thing you know the pill is is something that brings that into the physical world the pill doesn't really do anything. do anything it just represents the choice yeah the yeah. choice that you've already made yeah exactly i mean so one thing do you remember the blue glasses from the analyst well not, not no, no, the ones the blue glasses that she puts on morpheus because as he's taken the red pill now his code's being disrupted, and he starts to get dizzy. And, and, right. And, and, then, and at that point, Bugs now realises, because she's breaking him out of the Matrix, the other agents now realise that Morpheus' agent is Morpheus. and He's, he's gone rogue. He's gone rogue. He's actually bro broken up. He's an enemy! So they have this wicked chase scene through the back corridors of this building, and Morpheus is like really dizzy. He's got the glasses on him. As, yeah. as he's, he's got the Liam Gallagher shades, shades on. on to, as his code's being broken down as a red. They're like 3D glasses. Like yeah. They're blue balancing out the yeah, red. Yeah, they're quite you know. cool actually, aren't they? <laughs> but as his code's sort of getting broken down and broken down as he's being broken out of, out of his, his, uh, his programming to the Matrix. So he's got the glasses on. His whole sort of frequency is being disrupted. They have the chasing, the bullets are flying. She's going up against the walls as he sort of, he can't really believe what's going on because he's still waking up. 
But she's like, bang, 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 shooting back at the agents. They're running down that corridor. She's sort of rolling up the sides of the walls and stuff. He's not because he's still like just running and was in slow motion. Yeah, he's like a drunkard. Drunkard. But then they sort of crash through the fucking side of the uh, the building. And as he's literally, Coe's been finally disrupted, they go through the floor of the street. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and, that, and that shows you before. It doesn't have to be done through a phone box now. The, the whole universe, you can almost... Or was it a puddle that was well, on it was, the no, it, was, it was a puddle. That was what it was, yeah. a puddle. Was See, a... that's the thing, because there's another clip within the movie where they obviously don't have a phone box. They're on a train, actually, in this park where they go through a tiny mirror. Yeah. But again, I think that's relating back to this whole black mirror thing that we were talking about in before. We have our phones on us all the time, so now you don't have to dial in through a phone line you can just go through a mirror, mirror yeah. that's all you need yeah. and, and the puddle in the road is a symbolism of a mirror well the very first shot of the movie of the new matrix movie is police like the the kind of SWAT team that has been sent in to find the uh, Trinity camp yeah and it's the shot of them in a muddy puddle so yeah. the shot the, the first shot of the movie is a reflection a reflection of obviously what happened in the first movie. The are. first movie, the first shot of the original Matrix, is a bright light being shone into our faces, obviously waking, to wake waking us, us up. up and showing us the light. So, Bugs, Red Pills, Morpheus, they both exit the Matrix and go on with their journey to now release Neo, Thomas Anderson, from the Matrix. Oh, yes. Which is pretty much the start of the Matrix Resurrections film and the end of our Red Pill episode. The next episode, we're going to be doing a Blue Pill special where we're going to talk about how people are trapped in the Matrix in our reality as well as in the movie that we conclude in its entirety. Oh, yeah. Next time around. In the meantime, I'm trying to think of a quote from The Matrix. All we're offering is the truth, nothing more. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies.